They expected me to be shorter, I think. <clears throat> it is good to be back uh, with you guys. Uh, it's a joy. Uh, well, it's a joy to come to a place where I'm learning to love more and more. We were driving up, and I said to my wife that I thought we were in Iowa, not Ireland, as I saw all the green. Um, just, I'm, I'm enamored by that. I'm enamored by what God... Uh, how he has taken different parts of the country and there are the different places that how God just uh, gives us, shows us his beauty through the things that we get to see there, you know? And so that's uh, always a lot of fun. And uh, then to get to meet the good people up here and to get to meet some new people, um, our future daughter-in-law's mom and dad, got to spend some time with them. And that was a lot of fun. Um, they got a... <laughs> Uh, the, the girls went and, and tried on wedding dresses, or watched Corinne try on wedding dresses. Um, uh, I guess the other two were married. Uh, but anyway, they may not admit to it <laughs> all the time. But um, it, it has just been a lot of fun. Um, I, I, well, I forgot to end, uh, finish my thought, which was then the boys, we went out and tried to play golf. And that's a game you don't win, you just play. And uh, we just had a great time. But this is what I've noticed. Um, in following Whiting Christian Church since Josh has been here, and in getting to meet some of you good people, and to be able to share in the joys and hear about some of the sorrows, and then to be able to talk with Dennis and Susan, and to be able to talk with some of the other people that we've gotten to talk with, it just, I guess, comes to my mind once again, we're all on a journey. And those who have followed Jesus Christ, uh, Lord and Savior, we're a family. And as a family, our journeys come together at different points, and we get to encourage one another. Sometimes we may have to say the hard things to one another, but all the time is, is that we can learn from one another. Our family is not just blood relation. It is blood relations through the blood of Jesus Christ who, is, who has been poured out for our sins, right? And because of that, as people who are, don't have it all put together right, we can just learn from one another as we continue to walk down this road. I like to look at this journey as a journey of faith. I didn't know that Mike was going to start a series into Hebrews. And this is where we're going to land a little bit today, but I want to just talk to us about our story of faith. Yes, as Josh says, I've been in youth ministry for 30 years, and we had to make a transition. We had to make a transition from being in a church and having the security of a church paying for our salary and be able to have all of that to go into more of a mission where we have uh, just been able to follow after God in the different things that he has shown us as a camp uh, director as a camp minister. As a matter of fact, I love camp. As a matter, uh, a guy looked at me one day and he says, "Phil, well, you've got to answer this question: Why camp ministry?" And I looked right at him, and I'm a smart, smart mouth. And I said, "Well, are you stupid? Why not camp ministry?" Now I said that in love, and he took it well. He didn't punch me. Uh, but he probably should have. But the fact is, is that question has always been in my mind: Why camp ministry? Why in the world would we would we continue on with this? 
There's not a place where I can walk around at that camp and look and see places where I can see faces of kids whose lives were changed because of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I will walk around and I will just come to a place and I'll just stop. And I'll remember that day. I can remember a guy by the name of Jeff Isaacs who was in our youth ministry who walked and just right outside the dining hall doors. I watched him after a service one night walk right on out there and I could tell that he was really wrestling with something. And this is what he was wrestling with. God had called him to ministry. He had KU paid for for the next 12 years by an uncle for pre-med and all of his med stuff. It was a free ticket. And I looked right at him and I said, so what's God doing? He says, well, I guess I better call my mom. I said, you're supposed to go to Bible college? You're supposed to be in ministry? Yes. Now, he's the preacher at his home church, a place where we got to serve for 13 years. And he is doing an incredible job. God is doing an incredible work in his life. uh, This last summer, I had a, a young man that came out who led worship for one of our weeks at camp. Kelly is the guy that taught me how to play the guitar. When he went to camp with us, I asked him to go. I said, man, I need an instrumentalist. Why don't you come on out there and do that? Okay, I'll do that, Phil. He wouldn't really give me the time of day. We were friends, but he didn't want to talk about Jesus. And on Thursday night, the last night at camp, he walks up to me and he just says, I was sitting at a table in the back, and he says, you really believe this, don't you? And I said, what? He says, you believe all this Jesus stuff, don't you, Phil? And I said, absolutely, I do. And for the next hour and a half, we sat around that table, and as kids from our youth group came in and sat down just to talk and to hear part of that, I would say, all right, tell Kelly why you believe that Jesus is real. By the end of that night, he says, I want to be baptized. So let's talk to your folks. Call the folks. They said, yeah, we're not going to come down. But if this is something that Kelly wants to do, then we'll allow Kelly to do that. I said, great, fantastic. We baptized him in the pool on that Friday morning, took him home. The next year, almost a year to the day, I watched Kelly baptize his sister in that same pool. Sorry. I can get emotional about what God does. So why camp ministry? The answer came as I sat in a tree stand, not with a bow, not with a rifle, but just sitting there with my Bible. God, why do we do camp ministry? And it came to me in Romans 1 in these words. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what be made known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. To be able to see that what God has created in his beauty that is all around us, that is one of the greatest teachers that we can have, 
It makes me mad at video games, okay? It makes me mad when people are inside. It makes me angry when we want to spend so much time in the air conditioning and not out seeing what it is that God wants to use to teach us. The why of camp ministry, one of the number one reasons for me is so that we can get out into God's nature and we can spend some time outside, breathe in the fresh air so that we can have God as that teacher who we may not be able to hear with an audible voice, but we're definitely going to be able to see visually. We're going to be able to see all that he has created. The other way that we are able to see what God has created is through the relationships that he gives us to build. The beautiful people that need to know Jesus or are needing help on their journey. How is it that we can walk with them? That is the why of camp ministry. I say that because, well, as a camp, as a camp director now, that is where my passion is. And I want to share with you from my passion. I want you to know that I want you to know that getting out and taking time with God as you're driving with the windshield time or if you need to go sit in the woods or go sit on the riverbank and do some fishing or whatever it is that you need to do please do it and allow the creator of the universe to speak into your heart and speak into your mind get outside Well at camp we have some cool things that we get to do it's we get to have some cool relationships. We have some awesome speakers, some awesome, awesome worship leaders. We play some very incredible games. But when I get out to the camp, one of my favorite things to do every year, and it has been since 2003, is the opportunity that we get when we have this 48-foot spire that sits on the southwest corner of our campgrounds, and we call it a challenge tower. It is basically an old an old fireman's tower that has been repurposed so that we will be able to use that with climbing, rock climbing on one side, a zip line that heads towards the north, and on the south side, we have about that 48-foot uh, repelling tower. It is so much fun. And can I tell you, I'm afraid of heights. Anytime my foot goes onto a ladder, my knees start to shake. But I love it because each and every year, this is a teaching tool for me. I will always want to teach. I will always want to preach. I will always want to get into the lives of students. I don't necessarily need to stand on a stage, but to be able to sit with a student and look them in the eye and be able to tell them how much God loves them and tell them, hey, I want you to learn a little bit about faith today. And so when we get ready to do the climbing, when we get ready to do the rappelling, I brought some, some objects for you to be able to see today. We've strapped them in to these harnesses. Can I tell you, this is the longest part of our day, all right? Because when you got 20 kids that come up and you are trying to find harnesses that fit them and you don't want to embarrass them or whatever else, I, we want as many people as possible to be able to get into a harness so that they will be able to be safe. And so we spend the time talking to them about what it means to get into this harness. And we try to give them the assurance of what this means. One of the very first things I will tell them is that you guys are getting ready to strap on one of these, and it is tested for 5,000 pounds. So what that means to you today is that me and nine of the other biggest guys in this church, if we were to be able to strap this on and we were to be able to hold on to this, it would lift and hold each and every one of us. That's pretty awesome. And when you're talking to a bunch of junior high kids and you t say that 25 of them could be held up, they kind of look at you like, huh, what do you mean? But anyway, 
The fact is, is that the harness is one of the most important things. It will hold 5,000 pounds. As a matter of fact, everything in the system, has, uh, for, for our standards, has to be able to hold at least 5,000 pounds. All right? That is something that is pretty incredible. And it is pretty awesome to be able to help those kids to be able to take those steps. The other thing that is about our tower is that each ladder is 12 foot tall. So the first ladder you get to, get to the top of the 12 foot ladder. The next one, we have to have a fall arrest system. So they have to have the harness on so that they are going to be able to be hooked into a prussic knot. So if they happen to slip, they are not going to fall more than six inches before they are caught. It's happened. And the kids love that ride more than they love the zip line. It has been a lot of fun. This last summer, we had a camp. It was a rental group. They were out about three or four weeks ago. And we spent 45 minutes getting all 20 of these kids in their harnesses, double-checking, making sure everything was going to be secure. And we were giving them their talk. This is the talk that I give them. This is your challenge, your choice. This means that we are not going to make you to do anything that you do not feel comfortable in doing. Okay. So what does that mean? We're not going to push you off of these towers. We are not going to throw you off and say, all right, you know, we'll see you at the bottom. That's not what we're going to say. We are going to give you your challenge, your choice. You can choose to sit up and walk down those ladders, climb back down those ladders, or you can choose to just push it one little step. Take that step of faith and to be able to move on while I watch these kids. And it's always fun. They ride down the zip line, and I will, we will... They will repel. They will climb. They will do all of these different things. I love to take pictures of these kids with the telephoto lens and just get their faces just at that moment when they drop off because it is so, so much fun. And so every day after that, it is a hard day. It is a hard day because I'm worried about those students. I'm worried about a lot of different things. But it's always a good day because I always get to see the smiles on some of those kids' faces. This one particular little boy, I put him in a harness. And I chose a specific type of harness. He was a smaller junior high student. I chose this particular type of harness because I knew that this would give him more security. It has leg loops. It has shoulder straps. There is a place for the carabiner and all the connections to be right here across the middle. This is going to tighten up anytime there is tension that is put on that. It is going to hold them in a seated position just fine. I said, all right, have a good day. Put his helmet on him and said, all right, you're ready to climb. As I was busy throughout that day, we had a two-hour time stretch, and uh, I just started looking around, and it came to the end of the day, and I had seen this particular little boy. His name was Joey. And he was just smiling, and he was just running around and, and, and everything else, and it uh, came time to unhook him from his uh, carabiner to be able to get this harness off of him. I said, Joey, did you have fun? He goes, yeah, I had fun. I said, great. I said, tell me all that you rode. What did you do today? He goes, well, I just kind of hung out with friends. <laughs> so you didn't climb up the tower? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't climb the rocks. 
You didn't go off the zip line. No, no, didn't, didn't. I just kind of sat down here and watched my friends. What, well, you didn't go off the rappelling tower. No, I, I did not. And then the thought hit me. This is kind of like some of us are in our walk with Christ. Maybe we come to church and we like being with all of our friends. But it's a dangerous place if we never, ever, ever take that step of faith. See, there is a difference between believing and, and faith. It's not just belief. I think there's a problem in America today where I see some people in our churches, I see some people in the people that I serve, that they have a difficulty being able to move from faith being just belief and moving it into action. So I started thinking about that and passionate about that a little bit and thought, well, you know, that's maybe something that I would just share with you guys today. And so I started looking back at the definition of faith. It's, we're going to land in Hebrews chapter 11. The very first verse of that chapter is this. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, I think that many times this verse is interpreted, well, I believe in God that I cannot see, and I have a hope for heaven that I cannot see, so I think I'm good enough. I think that there is just something about believing and hoping, and that we're going to be good enough in our faith. But this is not so. You guys know this as well as, our, as I do. It would be like going out into a sweet corn field and picking up some of the greatest ears of corn, bringing them back, getting them all prepared, and then not husking them, just trying to eat through the husk and chew on that before we get to the good stuff in the middle, right? It would be like thinking that we were going to have one of the greatest meals of all time just to need toothpicks, just to be able to dig that stuff all out of our teeth. Unfortunately, I think that that's where some people are. You may be there. You may not be there. But I think sometimes that we have slipped into an easy believism. James understood this with the early church. One of the church in Jerusalem, he was the leader of that church, and he writes this about faith in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does not do anything about, about their physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show, you, show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The fact is, is that James was telling us that we, not, we don't need just belief. We need to have action with our belief. We need to take that step and be able to do what God has asked us to do and whatever that is that he has gifted us to do, to take that, that step to be able to serve other people so that our faith may be encouraged and so that our faith may become stronger because we are going to need it in the life to come. Amen? We've got to have faith that gets stronger and stronger. If not, we're going to get chewed up and spit out. 
and we're, not, we're going to wonder what in the world is going on. As a matter of fact, verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11 says this, And without faith it is even impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Question, how hard are you, you hunting for God? I ask myself that a lot. How hard am I hunting for God? Do I have the faith that God wants me to have? So how is it that we develop this act of faith? How is it that God wants us to hunt for him? Well, the first thing is that we have to seek him, and then we've got to learn something that is very, very, very difficult in our time. We have to learn to trust. Let's go back to the challenge tower. These full-body harnesses, the youngest person that we put down the tower was at family camp this last weekend. She was four. We had a Petzl harness that scrooches down, The helmet wouldn't fit real well, so we had to take baseball caps and put them on backwards. And then we kind of had to put that helmet on, and then we had to use duct tape to be able to hold that, all right? But her mom and her dad, all the families were doing this as a family unit. It was so fun. Because I said, all right, your challenge, your choice. Do not push your kids off of this tower. Do not push them into something that they do not want to do. Only encourage them and give them all the praise that you can if they choose to do so. But use this at a time for you guys to be able to talk about faith and trust a little later on in your family times. It was so much fun. But can I tell you this? The smaller the child, the easier it is for them to go off. Why is that? No fear whatsoever. How do we learn about fear? It's, we learn about a hot stove by touching a hot stove, don't we? Or some of us have. Some of us, we listened to our moms and said, hot. Okay, what's hot? You know? Some of us learn about the different things that are bad in life because we've experienced something that has been bad in life. And we, we get that fear. That, tr- that fear is, is definitely opposed to our learning how to trust. So how do we learn how to trust? Well, God chose to do it this way. Remember the children of Israel? God had put them into, from Israel into Egypt so that he could protect them from a famine. 430 years later, they were looking for a way to get out because they had become, they, they had become slaves. They had become slaves in Egypt, and God had called, used a an opposing type of guy by the name of Moses who had a speech impediment to be the leader of the children of Israel from one of the greatest powers of Egypt at that time. And he was going to leave them out and take away all of their slave labor, all of their workforce. And it was a struggle. But the biggest struggle that I think that God and Moses had was getting the people to buy in. Well, this is what it took a little bit. They liked the idea of being delivered. They liked the idea of not being slaves anymore. They liked all of that, but they didn't like the idea of leaving their home. They didn't know, they they didn't like the idea of leaving the way that it is right now and going into a place or going into an area of their life where they weren't sure what it was going to be like. And so, what did it take? 
It took 10 plagues to start with. Five of them, everybody suffered. Five of them, not everybody suffered. The children of Israel were spared. Moses had to know what the power of God was. He needed to learn how to, he needed to learn how to trust. There were not only the plagues, but there was also the exodus. They had to leave and take everything that was with, with them. And then they came to the first hiccup, which was the Red Sea. And the army of the, of the pharaohs was coming down upon them. And God parted that Red Sea so they could walk through on dry land. And then they still complained. Where are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And God provided quail and manna, which means what is it? But it was a sustenance for them so that they would be able to be able to eat each and every day. There was a promised land that was promised, but they made it there in about a six to eight week period of time. And then they had to water around, wander around for another 40 years before they would enter into that promise because they were afraid of the people that were in there. They did not trust that God was going to be able to take care of them. They had clothes that did not wear out. I need those clothes. Anybody else? But the people of Israel grumbled. They wanted it the way it was in the old days. They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. They wanted to go back to what they knew. They wanted to go back to what was safe. They wanted to go back to trusting self instead of trusting God. And I think there is the problem. It's easier to trust ourselves than trust somebody that we can't see. After 40 years of wandering, they entered into the promised land. God fought their battles. Battle of Jericho, all they had to do was walk and listen to trumpets blow. And the walls fell. They were able to move all the way through the promised land and be able to take the places that they wanted. But still, we know, read through the scriptures, you see that they still chose their own way. That is one of the problems that we have with us today is that a lot of times our problem, our, our sickness of not being able to stay close with God is that we want to be able to focus on our own needs and our own wants rather than what it is that God wants to teach us and he wants to show us. I'm a Pinterest person and I follow after, a guy, uh, follow after the sermon quotes and this is one that I saw on Monday. It's by Andy Stanley and it says this, perfect faith is not a faith that moves God. Perfect faith is a faith that moves us to trust God when he doesn't seem to be moving. Ever found yourself in that position? We're not, God, what you doing? No answer. God, what you doing? Well, I, I, I'm not sure that we, I'm not sure I heard what you said, God. God, where do you want us to be? Should, should we take this other road? We become impatient, don't we? And a lot of times when the tough situations come in, we kind of get freaked out. I don't know what those tough situations may be for you, but these are the ones that I experienced from Tuesday through Thursday of this week. Tuesday morning, I got, I was checking Facebook, 
checking my emails, and I saw that one of the boys from our youth group in Missouri, a boy that I got to baptize back in 1992, had committed suicide. Life had just gotten too unbearable for him, and I, and I just was trying to find out some of the other people, trying to find out what had happened to Jesse, what, what, what had gone on with Jesse. The story started coming together just a little bit more, and he started up a car in his dad's garage, and he didn't leave. So I started asking some of the other people around, and a young lady by the name of Tanya starts answering some of my questions. And she says, Phil, I just don't understand it. And I'm going to read from her face, our Facebook conversation. Phil, it keeps happening more and more, just getting closer to home. How have you stayed in youth ministry so long? Her next statement was this. How can God let someone hurt like that to the point they feel no other way out and then punish them for it? He makes himself hard to understand or follow. How can he, be, how can he blame them? And I wrote back to her, I understand that, th that thinking. God is not easy to understand at times. But know this, he loves us and he has done all he can to give us a way to him. But each person has the freedom to choose our interaction with God. And then she writes this, and I just sat stunned. I've, really, I've been having a really hard time since we lost our daughter. I do not recognize the God I'm seeing in real life. He is silent and far away as things like this happen. Where is the shepherd that supposedly leaves the 99 behind to bring back the one? Seems like a whole lot more, it seems a whole lot more like keep up. And if you struggle, you're on your own. I, I was stunned. I cried. I talked with her about it. She had lost a daughter at 24 weeks. There was some sort of a disease. Their organs would stop developing. And her arms became rigid. And her legs became rigid. And they started stretching out inside the womb. And there was no way in this world that she was going to be able to give birth to that child. So they did an emergency cesarean section and they brought that little child out into the world. And she said, that baby never moved. She goes on to say that I think I hate God right now. I just don't feel his presence. The last words that I left with her were this. When was the last time you felt his presence? She responded back with a nice, Phil, it's good talking to you. I'm sure I will talk with you more. And I went back with, I sure hope so, Tanya, because God loves you and he hasn't given up on you and he did not do this to you to punish you. Let me ask you this. Are you struggling? When was the last time you felt close to God? What are those lessons that God has taught you throughout your life? 
What are the things that God has said to you? What is it that he is wanting to speak into your life right now? What is that next step that he wants you to take in your journey of trust with him? For Karen and I, a few years ago when we made that transition or were called to make that transition into camp ministry, I can tell you right now, this has not been an easy road. As a matter of fact, on July 31st, I received a letter in the mail that was dated July 21st. And that July 31st letter said that the money that we owed on August 1st had doubled the camp. It had doubled. You know what? I was praising God because through the month of July 1st, on July 1st, we received a $3,700 gift from a family. On July 19th, I got a phone call from a camp that had just, their camp had been shut down. They needed another camp to be able to come to. And as I looked at that, the very first thought in my mind was this. Look at this. God has taken up one-third here of what is needed to pay on August 1st. And then that camp, camp comes in. I said, God, there's the other third right there of what needs to be to pay off the, the, the interest on that camp loan. And then I was going, God, I don't know where you're going to bring that other third, but I'm excited about you bringing it. And then on July 31st, I read that letter. It was at 2.30 in the afternoon. I tried to call the bank. The bank, banker was gone. I tried to call our CPA, and our CPA was gone. He was on vacation. And I just sat there in my office, and I was, what is going on here? And then the words came back, some words of wisdom that my friend has given me. He says, well, worry if it helps. <laughs> okay. There's nothing I can do about it on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. There's nothing that I can do about it until Monday morning. I don't know what we're going to do, but we are going to trust you, God, It wasn't a typographical error. The information that I was given was different than the information that the bank had had. And so we had to pay, spend $22,800 to pay off of that interest on that loan. We were able to. We were able to protect designated funds. Where is God going to come up with the rest of this money? I don't know. But he will. Because God doesn't give us the opportunity for ministry and he doesn't call us into a place that he wants us to serve without equipping us. We've just got to get to that point with our experiences of belief and trust and belief and trust so that God will show up and say, I got gotcha. you. This is what is going to happen. And then we can celebrate with God. And then the next lesson begins. Don't forget that. The next lesson will begin. You see, when I set up these equipment, this year our instructor I made this statement. She says, Phil, take me through your talk. 
So we're talking about the rappelling tower, and I'm talking to them all the way through that, and I felt really good because I was talking to them about faith, about how we've got God holding us like this, and we've got the God rope that's holding us, and you were going to be safe. And she stopped me right there, and she goes, no. You can never, ever tell students, participants, that they're going to be safe. We cannot make that promise to people. I was mad until I remembered this from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course, Aslan isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus never called us to a safe Christian life. He called us to a life where we can trust, where we can trust him. Active faith is better than is a belief that is tried and tested that continually leads to a deeper trust. This is sitting on my wall, and I want to leave it with you. It's a quote by Francis Chan, and I hope it's my prayer for you as well. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Where is God asking you to step today? Father, I am thankful for the journey that you've called all of us to. I am thankful, God, even though it is difficult and even though we don't understand, I am thankful, Father, that you want us to grow. You don't want us just to believe in you. You want us to trust you. And Lord, what I ask today is that you would just help us to grow in that trust. Help us to make that step, Lord, that we can honor you. Father, I just pray that you would just uh, speak to hearts today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.